Colossians 2, 8-15 See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been fulfilled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive, together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Galatians 2, 20-21 reads, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Thank you very much. This is the word of God. So, the end of the month, um, this this joke wears itself out as we get closer to the end of the month, but it's a very special holiday, not speaking of Halloween, but Reformation Day. In 1517, Martin Luther nailed 95 theses to the chapel wall in Wittenberg, Germany. Um, it It was looking... Um, the main thrust of the Reformation, the five-finger death punch, was the five solas. We've gone over sola scriptura, by scripture alone. We've gone over sola fide, by faith alone. Sola gratias, by grace alone. And uh, today, i got my, my reformer up here. Hey. 
That's my king. Amen. Do you know him? The fourth sola we are going over is Sola Christos by Christ alone. We start this series on Sola Scriptura by Scripture alone. Because Scripture alone reveals to us Christ. Hebrews 1.1, 1, 1, one of the most kind of overlooked verses in the Bible especially amongst those who want to go away from Christ, away from the Scripture, is that in the former days, God spoke to the prophets in various times and various places, but in these final days, He has spoken through His Son. And that is why John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's why the angel in in Revelation 19.10 says to John the Beloved, who is trying to worship him, that all prophecy has its place in the testimony of Jesus. And anything, anything, anything that does not inflame your affections towards Jesus Christ is not according to the Holy Spirit. For the Holy Spirit guides us into all truth. But the Holy Spirit doesn't promote or glorify Himself. He gives what is Christ. He speaks what Christ speaks. He glorifies the Son, who in turn glorifies the Father. The Holy Spirit wrote the Scriptures. The Scriptures speak of Christ in every book. I believe some of our youth are going to come up and help me with this next part. In Luke 24, verse 27... Jesus, the resurrected Christ, is walking on the road to Emmaus with two disciples who do not know who he is. And it says in verse 27, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus is in every book of the Bible. Genesis, creator and promise redeemer. Exodus, the Passover lamb. Leviticus, the high priest. Numbers, water in the desert. Deuteronomy, he becomes the curse for us. Joshua, commander of the army of the Lord. Judges, delivers us from injustice. Ruth, our kinsman redeemer. First Samuel, all in one, he is the prophet, priest, and king. Second Samuel, king of grace and love. First Kings, a ruler greater than Solomon. Second Kings, the powerful prophet. First Chronicles, son of David that is coming to rule. Second Chronicles. The king who reigns eternally. Ezra, priest proclaiming freedom. Nehemiah, the one who restores what is broken down. Esther, protector of his people. Job, mediator between God and man. Psalms, our song in the morning and the night. Proverbs, our wisdom. Ecclesiastes, our meaning of life. Song of Solomon. Author of Faithful Love, Isaiah, the Suffering Servant, Jeremiah, the Weeping Messiah, Lamentations, His Assumed God's Wrath for Us, Ezekiel, Son of Man, 
Daniel, the stranger in the fire with us. Hosea, faithful husband, even when we run away. Joel, he is sending his spirit to his people. Amos, delivers justice to the oppressed. Obadiah, judge of those who do evil. Jonah, the great missionary. Micah, he casts our sins into the sea for forgetfulness. Nahum, proclaims future world peace we cannot even imagine. Habakkuk, crushes injustice. Zephaniah, the warrior who saves. Haggai, restores our worship. Zechariah, Zechariah, prophecies of Messiah pierced for us. Malachi, son of righteousness who brings healing. Matthew, the Messiah who is king. Mark, the Messiah who is a servant. Luke, the Messiah who is a deliverer. John, the Messiah who is God in the flesh. Acts, the spirit who dwells in his people. Romans, the righteous of, of God. First, first Chronicles, the power and love of God. Second Corinthians, he is the down payment of what's to come. Galatians, he is our very life. Ephesians, the unity of the church. Philippians, the joy of our life. Colossians, holds the supreme position in all things. First Thessalonians, our comfort in the last days. Second Thessalonians, our returning king. First Timothy, savior of the worst sins. Second Timothy, leader of the leaders. Titus, the foundation of truth. Phil, one, our meditator. Hebrews, our high priest. James, he matures our faith. First Peter, our hope in times of suffering. Second Peter, the one who guards us from false teachings. First John, source of all fellowship. Second John, God in the flesh. Third John, the source of all truth. Jude, protects us from stumbling. Revelation. King of kings and Lord of lords. The Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. And he is coming again. And the one who makes all things new. Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much, guys. Really appreciate it. Jesus is at the heart of everything. I turned this off. Jesus is at the heart of everything. And when I say everything, I mean everything. I don't mean just at salvation. I mean every moment of our life. Everything is according to His Word. And His Word points to Jesus Christ in every single book. You know, we know that Jesus is the only way to heaven. We know through so many things. But this comes under attack all the time. I just saw this this week on the uh, Instagram there, and uh, it, was, it was a post on uh, Christian Post, and this is what it said, according to um, Probe Ministries did a, did a survey, nearly 70% of born-again Christians disagree with the biblical position that Jesus is the only way to God. Acts 4.12. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. John 3.18 
We love John 3.16, for God so loved the world. We love John 3.17, God did not come into the world, Jesus, God did not come into the world to condemn the world, but 3.18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the son, only Son of God. John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. John 14, 6, Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Some people try to manipulate this verse, but in the Greek it's the definite article. There's no other way to translate it as other than the, not a, or, an, the. Definite article. He is the only way, the only truth, the only life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. John 17, 3, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I don't ask people, do you want to go to heaven? I ask, do you want to know Jesus? Because that's eternal life. Heaven is not eternal life. To know Jesus and the Father, that is eternal life. And when we read in Revelations, we won't stay in heaven. Actually, we go to earth into the new Jerusalem. 1 John 2.2 2. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not only ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. And yet, 70% of those who claim to be born again Christians disagree with this. And I think what that's really revealed is 70% of born again Christians are not born again. They have not believed on the Son and only the Son you know, Jesus requires everything, doesn't he? Amen. He requires everything. I remember one time when I was a, I was a counselor in an inpatient treatment facility, and I had to take some of the boys, this is in South Dakota, by the way, I had to take some of the boys to the sweat lodge. And the guy conducting the sweat lodge, he really wanted me to go in. And if you don't know what a sweat lodge is, you, it's, I don't want to say it's a sauna, but it's a place where you go and sweat to the point where you have a religious experience. He's like, you can put Jesus in there. I was like, but you're also going to be praying to all other things too, right? He's like, yeah. It's like, well, that's the problem. My God doesn't share me. Amen. He doesn't share me. So I, I can't do that. You know, there's this, um, when I do the nursing home ministries, I like to talk about the, the, um, the stories behind the hymns and how impactful hymns are even to this day. You know, I, I bet very few of you remember this song. Um, it was from Carmen. It's like, Lord, we are the ones called by your name. Humble ourselves now as we pray. So we were like, I have no idea what you're singing right now. It was everywhere in the late 90s. You could not go to a church service and not sing that song, but very few people have any idea of what I'm singing. But everybody knows. Amazing grace, how sweet. Let's give the story behind it. It costs somebody to sing this. You've heard the song, I have decided to follow Jesus. That was written by a man in India who was a believer. Men came to his house one day and threatened him to renounce his faith, to go back to the faith of, of, of their people, of Hinduism. They murdered his children in front of him. He sings, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. 
I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. They kill his wife and they give him another opportunity. He sings them to the next line of the song, Though none come with me, still I will follow. Though none come with me, still I will follow. There is no other name given under heaven by which men must be saved. If there was any other way, the Lord would not have sent his only son to be loved. Amen. That's a bit of what we read this morning in verse 21. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Everything flows through Christ according to his word. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 21. Far above all rulers and authorities and power and dominion and above every name that is a name, not only in this age, but also in the one to come, there is no one beside, no no one above than Jesus Christ. Verse 22, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all. All in all, so it is Christ alone, not Christ in the church, not Christ in leaders, not Christ in philosophy, psychology. Nothing is above or beside, but all below him, even including the church, which is his gift for us, for we are his body, the church. Christ is our only, he's our only savior. The only one who is capable to save us. No good person could have died for us because there's no such thing as a good person. There's none who do good. No, not one. And there's even a pastor, now I have a name of Kenneth Copeland, who said that God revealed him, Holy Spirit revealed to him, that any, that any twice-born person could die for the sins of the world. That was not the Holy Spirit who revealed that to him. Because what does the Holy Spirit do? He promotes Jesus. Amen. He promotes Jesus. Amen. He most certainly does not promote us. He does not try to put in place of Christ anything else because only Christ, he's the only one qualified to be a sufficient Savior. He is also our only mediator. Amen. He's our only mediator. When the people of Israel, after the Exodus, they are in the desert and they're about to receive the law. First they receive the law directly from God and they scream for Moses to be their mediator. Because they cannot withstand the words of God. It makes sense to see God is to die. When Moses goes up to the mountain, he comes down, his face shines so bright, they put a veil over his face. That's the old covenant. The new covenant is much more glorious. How can we stand? How can we go to the throne of grace of confidence? Because Jesus Christ, he is our final bridge. We don't need a priest. We don't need a pastor. We don't need anything between us and Christ. Jesus Christ is the final mediator because he's fully God and fully man. He's the only one qualified to be a sufficient Savior and the only mediator. He's also our only intercessor. You do not need to. You can go to Christ directly. He is the one constantly standing in the gap for us. Amen. It's a theology that you'll find in Hebrews that he is the great high priest in the order of Melchizedek. The priest was the intercessor for the people. He went to God on behalf of the people, like Moses would go to God on behalf of the people. But now Christ has gone to God on our behalf, and he stands forever at the right hand of God, making mediation and intercession for us. Simply put, he has our back. Isn't that good? See, you can go to people, you can have mentors. I remember 
I don't want to bash any kind of one church, but so when I was a child, I would go to a place where you did confession. You had to say your, uh, you know, your sins to a holy man. And I remember thinking at the end, every time I did confession, which was very few and far between, it's like, did I just lie to uh, lie to the priest? I sure did, because I felt like he's going to judge me. Because maybe he doesn't know what it's like to live my life. But we have such a high priest who does sympathize with us. He is our only intercession, intercessor. There are so many places I could go with this sermon. In fact, this, this week I was kind of having a hard time because, like I said, every book speaks of Jesus Christ. The New Testament, almost every book of the New Testament will make the claim about Jesus Christ alone for salvation. So I'm like, where do I want to go with this? Well, I decided to go with Colossians because of the grouping there, what it says about Christ and Him being our, being our one and only so many things that we're going to go over today. So I want to talk about how in this, as I, as I explain these verses to you about imposters towards Christ. Two, that he's a sufficient Savior. And three, he is our conquering hero. Starting with verse 8 through 10. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy, empty deceit according to human traditions, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. That very first verse, I call that imposters towards truth, imposters towards Christ. You know, I think I have a slide. All right. <laughs> if you don't get that, it's okay. Um, I, I was like, okay, I have a point called imposters. I got to put that up there. For the Colossian church, and for the church throughout all of time, we are constantly dealing with imposters. People who say, I have the truth. That, yeah, it's good that you have Jesus that you're saved, but now you need to get into the real stuff. Sometimes it has a spiritual connotation, sometimes it's more of a secular connotation to it. But all of it in the of this is not Christ alone, but Christ in these things. And what happens, according to Paul, is that you are taken captive. The word for taken captive here, it was used primarily in the Greek language of talking about those who would go into a place, conquer the people, and then take slaves. See to it that no one enslaves you. Because the people in Colossae had been enslaved by false ideologies, false truth claims, by false many things, and people today still are. See to it that no one takes you captive. There's two things that are kind of informative there. One, see to it that no one, so that means that's on you, to test the word of God I'm preaching to you, I hope you have your Bibles open, you're following along, I'm not just making stuff up. And then you can look at your cross-references as well. See to it that no one takes you captive. And the word captive then, that is being um, enslaved. What I think is important here, sometimes people get very upset with people who are deceived. But here's the thing about deception, is deception doesn't feel like deception when you're deceived. And all of us probably have stories in our life, times where we believed something false. We believe a false gospel, or hopefully not, or just something that was false, um, that we were taught to believe or, or knew. We should not hate those people because we were those people at one point in time. Yeah. Yet while we make sure that no one takes us captive, what does it say here? By philosophy and empty deceit. Some of your empty philosophy. So, under imposters, these are the ones that Paul names. And these are ones that are relevant for us as well. I've kind of, I've explained them kind of further into our, into our modern context as well. But philosophy, 
Now, the word philosophy, um, thank you very much. Um, philosophy uh, means a love for wisdom. You break apart the word philo and um, sophia, which is love for wisdom. So, Sophia's here. I believe your name means wisdom. Um, hopefully, you live up to that. Um, it's only used one time in the Old New Testament, um, this specific word, philosophia. Um, the love of wisdom should be commended, but if it is a philosophy that undermines the work of Christ, it is empty and hollow. Man-centered philosophy is like this. Man-centered philosophy is like this. Um, many college students, this is what they deal with. They come into a classroom, they are dominated by somebody else, and that's just a hierarchy of of teaching, um, kind of like the hierarchy right now. I'm raised above you, so you can all see me and hear me, but also there's a certain authority there. And if you don't know the Word of God, then you have nothing to combat this, and you are told all these man-centered philosophies, and you're told, well, you either believe these or you're stupid. And so many are like, well, I don't want to be stupid. So they end up falling, they end up being taken captive by worldly ideologies and philosophies. So I have on here, you are held captive by man-centered philosophy when you look to anything other than Christ to complete us. So these are even philosophies of things that we may not think of as philosophy, but of love and justice. When you define them the way the world defines them, you are buying in, you are held captive by worldly philosophy. To kind of go, go along a little further here, I was thinking, when I, when I wrote this down, I was thinking of the movie Jerry Maguire, and many people may have not seen that movie, but they use the line all the time, you complete me. Yeah. I always warn students, don't look for somebody to complete you. Be complete in Christ so that you have something to offer somebody else. Amen. Yeah. I say it to you too, everybody who's here that is single. Be complete in Christ so you have something to offer somebody else. Because love is more about giving than it is receiving. Um, Anything we look to to complete us, that we feel incomplete without, but it's not Jesus Christ, that's an empty philosophy that has a self-captive. The second one is human tradition. Human tradition. You can see this as also psychology and sociology. When I was uh, preaching on Sola Scriptura by Scripture alone, I went over how traditions can nullify the Word of God. We have all kinds of traditions and things that are available in our culture that God hates Human tradition that takes a person captive would be continuing to go to a church that doesn't preach the gospel or the word. Nice to say, because there is a whole lot of churches this last year who have abandoned God's word, who have bought into worldly philosophies. And now people out of tradition are continuing to go to those churches. Very unfortunate. You are held captive by tradition when you look to culture for comfort instead of Christ. Well, I'm depressed. Do I go to the Lord, or do I go to uh, some book, to some person, and sit on the couch, or do I go first to Christ? Now, now understand, Christ has made the church so that we support each other, we pray for each other. I believe in psychology and counseling, but I believe it is below Christ, and it needs to be in alignment with Christ to be profitable. Amen. You are held captive by traditions when you look to culture for comfort instead of Christ. Um, I'm trying to remember this. Hopefully I don't totally misquote you here. Um, Janelle this morning in, in, uh, in um, uh, Sunday school had mentioned about kind of like generational curses. I thought you, you, you phrased it very well. It's about family traditions of sin. And um, I was like, 
That's a better way of seeing it. I think that's a more understandable way of seeing it. When we talk about generational sins or patterns of sins, you know what it is? It's a tradition of sin. Well, mom and dad used to drink, so I drink. Even if mom and dad told me not to drink. I remember seeing it with one person. The one thing that really convinced them that they should start smoking is their mom, with a cigarette in her hand, told her not to smoke. You can say, don't smoke all you want, but if you have a cigarette in your hand... And what's sad about that is every child wants to be like their parents. Be careful, little feet where you walk. It's the little feet behind you. Human tradition, we are held captive by human tradition when we look for towards culture, meaning everything in our culture, including our own personal culture, for comfort instead of Christ. Third thing, elemental spirits. You're reading this and it sounds it sounds kind of mystical, and actually what Paul's referring to here is not mystical at all. And the elemental spirits is another way of saying basically the created world, what you see around you. So I've found here science, and really the sciences come out of that philosophy of elemental spirits, meaning the basic building blocks of the natural world. Once again, on its own, neutral or good, but when you put it above God, you are now held captive. You are held captive by elemental spirits when you stop looking to Christ for answers and only look to the natural world. Does the natural world have answers? Absolutely. But it doesn't have the ultimate answer. All the other two things are here? Good. But if you make them ultimate, they become an idol that needs to be destroyed. So people will fall away from believing in Jesus because of the empty philosophies, human traditions, and the elemental spirits, meaning, uh, meaning the sciences, by making those things ultimate to put those above Christ. Let me continue reading here, verse 9. For in him the fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. The nature of Christ. Why is Christ enough? Because he is both fully God and fully man, he was never a time, never a time in all of human history, of all of cosmic history, is Christ less than fully God. I want to correct something that gets preached in some churches because of ignorance, and I don't believe out of a malicious attitude. It's a heresy called kenosis. Kenosis. Many people don't know that's what it's called. And it's the idea that Jesus Christ on earth is less God. That he became less God. You can understand where this comes from, right? Because how does God die? We go back to Philippians. He humbled himself. He willingly sets it aside, but he still is fully God. The fullness of God dwells bodily. He is Emmanuel, not kind of God with us, not demigod with us, but God with us. Amen. This is what makes him enough, because he is fully God and fully man. He is the perfect bridge between God and man. The final mediator. If you have, I know, I know Josh here, he's an electrician. If you have open wires, you don't want people touching those wires because they can't handle the power that's in those wires. They'll fry you. See, you need insulation. You need a mediator between the wires and you. We need a mediator between us and God because to see God is to die. There is nothing dark in his whole presence. And us, we have our own sins. Jesus Christ is our final mediator because he's both fully God and fully man. He is also a sufficient Savior. Verses 11 through 14. In him you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. 
by putting off the body of flesh, um, by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your tre- trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the debt, the record of debt against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He is a sufficient Savior. Galatians 2.20 that Becca read earlier, in this verse, the original language, for I have been crucified with Christ. I guess I'm going to get into some nerdy stuff here, but it's a, it's a grammar that goes like this. It's the present perfect tense. This is something special in the Greek. It means something happened once in history, but the effects are still being felt. So it would be like there's an earthquake, but the aftershocks. There is a campfire that gets out of control, so there's a forest fire. Christ was crucified. I have been crucified with Christ. That's my salvation. But it's continually to happen. Daily I take up my cross to follow him. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. It's the past perfect tense that um, that means is that it's an event that took place, um, but the event is still being felt, like a wildfire, like an earthquake. When God saved us, we took up our cross and followed him. The cross of Christ wasn't just something relevant when we were first, when we first believed, but we continually to take up our cross because we present ourselves as a living sacrifice. Paul uses two illustrations here. It's great. One from the Old Covenant, one from the New Covenant. Physical things that have a spiritual significance. Circumcision and baptism. In the Old Covenant, that was the sign of the Old Covenant was physical circumcision. In the New Testament, Gentile believers are told, not are not commanded so much not to do it, but don't do it because you think you're going to be more spiritual by doing it. It's like you totally misunderstood circumcision completely. You need a spiritual circumcision. I'm not going to get too graphic here, but just in the physical circumcision does away with the old flesh. Spiritual circumcision takes out the old fleshly nature so that the spirit might live. Baptism, another symbolic thing. So we have nine people getting baptized next week. If they don't know Jesus, they're just getting dumped in the water. But it's because they know Jesus and they want to be identified with Jesus. The symbolism is you go into the water, you die. I die to my wants, my desires. I die to my vision of the future. I die to what I think is right in the world, right? No longer am I like, you know what needs to happen? I know what needs to happen. Jesus needs to rule. So I die to my old self and I come out of the water. I'm now resurrected as Christ was resurrected. It's a symbol. It's, It's a symbol. Circumcision. In the Old Covenant, likewise, mean nothing to someone whose heart was uncircumcised. That is why probably one of the worst disses you'll find in the New Testament is Stephen, um, who ends up getting martyred. He tells them they have uncircumcised hearts. They get so angry, they gnash their teeth, and then they, they, they end up murdering him. Galatians 2.21, he is a sufficient Savior. Why? 21, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were gained through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. 
That's a powerful thing. So anything else that saves me? Anything else I think adds to my salvation? Anything else other than Jesus Christ? And Christ didn't need to die. He didn't, not, he didn't need to die to be a symbolic, to be a symbol of selflessness. That's what you'll hear around Easter. You hear all kinds of stuff. All of it is just noise. Why did he need to die? Because my sin was so bad. It took a sinless Savior to save me. Not Muhammad, not Buddha, not politics, not social justice. Anything we add into that, and Christ died for nothing. Because if I can be good on my own, then Christ didn't need to die. So powerful. Very end of verse 14. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. I talked to you about like the history behind, behind the Psalms. You know the song, It Is Well? You have the long, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, it is well with my soul. That's, that's right from Scripture right there. It was nailed on the cross, and I bear it no more. So many of us are continuing to bury the old, bear the old sin. Pastor, I can't forgive myself. It's nailed to the cross. It's not yours. Amen. Let me put it another way. You have no right to it. You have no right to it. What a weird thing to say, right? Because it's like, well, I feel bad about it. I don't want it. Stop holding on to it. Let it go, just like you would need to let go your unforgiveness towards somebody else. That I realize that the blood of Christ is sufficient. Finally, verse 15, he is a conquering hero. Verse 15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing. Jesus is still the answer. If you, if you open up your news app, you will see so many problems in this world. Poverty, racial strife, dirty politics, wars, rumors of wars, child, safra- um, child trafficking, sickness, Suicide, need I go on? But there's this old song, Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there is no other. Jesus is the way. Over this last two years, I have seen whole denominations disagree with that. That It's not just Jesus. You don't just need Jesus. We need this philosophy. We need these things from the world. We need to describe justice the way the world describes justice. Love the way the world describes love. No wonder you have an entire denomination who will now look at something that God called abominable and say it's blessed. Well, if Jesus is not enough, then what does it matter? If you need all these things in order to be made perfect in God, then then Jesus, then what does that matter? The entire churches disagree with this. Because they will bring in the philosophies of man and put them over the Word of God. They'll describe the Word of God by those philosophies. I've seen parachurch organizations with gospel in the name also disagree. I have heard preachers who I admire and people I still quote disagree. But you know something? I don't care. Because Colossians 2.15 says, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing them in Him. Those who don't think Jesus can heal a broken heart, I've heard testimony after testimony of a person who had the pills and the gun by the pillow, but got one phone call, and the love of God turned away. 
Amen. the sorrows of this world. Because there's power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. Amen. For those who don't think, who don't think just being a Christian is enough to heal racism, do you know how many people I've come, I, I've talked with, I've heard testimony of, who was in their very heart of hearts, hated other people because of their race, but because of the love of God, they would call somebody hand in hand, their brother or sister. Amen. You go to the Wayback Machine, I have a sermon on the website called, Won't You Be My Neighbor? And I describe two men in World War II, and I'm kind of going off script here, so I'm probably going to get some of the details wrong. Um, but two men in World War II who were consumed by hate, and by the end of World War, by the end of, of, of their time, they actually became missionaries in each other's country. One was the man who led the attack on Pearl Harbor. So he, he led the attack. Japan loses. He believes that all the stories about how brutal the Japanese government they were embellished. So he talks to one of his friends who was part of an American POW camp. He finds out the man was treated not only well, but that a nurse was meeting what saved his life, a nurse whose parents were killed by the Japanese government. Because she really took serious to love those who hate you, to bless those who persecute you. And through this series, this man's heart gets changed, and he becomes a missionary to America from Japan. There's something that oh, it hits me so hard, because God hasn't forgotten about America. Yeah. He's still raising up men and women from across the world. The other man was a man who heard about Pearl Harbor. He hated the Japanese so much, he just volunteered for whatever would let him get to kill the Japanese. He admitted that when he went over there to bomb them, he, put, he turned the guns on civilians because he just wanted to kill some Japanese people. So he went into a Japanese POW camp. It was, it was not hospitable. It was very, very hard. But a Japanese soldier gave him a Bible. His heart was changed, and then he went to Japan as a missionary. Jesus is still the answer. Because he's conquered. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing. When, when falsehood, when heresy, when all these things come into the church, often it is centered around Jesus Christ. Of course it is, and his cross. Because Satan is still angry because he thought his greatest day of triumph became his greatest day of defeat. And when Jesus said, it is finished, the devil was hoping salvation was finished. But no, salvation had been accomplished. He is the, Jesus Christ is the only hero. A lot of times when we read the Bible, we make a major mistake, and we think it's a book about heroes. Just like in the Odyssey, or the Iliad, it is a book of heroes, of Heracles, of, of uh, Odysseus, of... Um, of the different people, and we think maybe the Bible is kind of like that. We have David, we have Ruth, we have Esther, we have John the Baptist, but that's not what it is. All of the people we read about in Scripture, they are not heroes, but they are sinners in need, in need of a Savior. They are sometimes types of Christ, but they are not Christ himself. No more is a shadow, you. It just looks sort of like you. But you, the fullness of who you are, is what people need to know. The fullness of who Jesus Christ is what we need to know. When we read about King David, Ruth, Esther, John the Baptist, we are reading sinners just like us, but we see what faith has done in their life and what faith can do in our life. 
He is the conquering hero. So as I close today, I was looking at Colossians chapter 2, 8, 8 through 15, and I think it's my last slide. And worship team, you can come up at this time. Hopefully you can see this. But I highlighted in red, every time it's about in Him. We often forget this in church. We forget this in our alone life. We think it's about us. We think it's about my happiness, my fulfillment. But it's about Him. You know, when we chase our own happiness, our own fulfillment, we always, we always get left empty and unfulfilled. But if we seek our fulfillment in Him, it means everything to us. And I, and I, thought, I thought this was especially interesting because many years ago I was in a Christian bookstore and there was three books on display. Two by uh, leading American pastors and one by the wife of Alan Jackson, the country music singer. And uh, this is before Alan Jackson actually was like, doing hymns and stuff, so like, there's nothing to like, cue me in to what was going on. And uh, the first book really... And I'm giving away things, but I'm not trying to. Anyway, about like having your best life on this earth. Like, you know, like, you know, getting the physical blessing. It's all about that. Another one is about making money God's way. And the last one said, the title was, It's All About Him. Yes. Because her and her husband sought the things of this world and got them in abundance, but they're, they were ready to get divorced because their life was so empty. It was so meaningless. They looked to all the things of this world, and it, it just didn't fill. Christ is the only one who can fill us. And as believers, we forget this as well. Because we seek all these things, and we wonder, why do I feel so empty? Why do I feel like I just, I just too much day, I don't have enough hours? It's not that I need more hours in my day, I need more life in my day. For in Him, the fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you having been filled in Him, who is the head of all rule and authority, in Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without human hands by putting on the body of the flesh by circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. And you who were dead in your transgressions and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. As we close today's service, we'll be singing our final song. And this is our time to respond to the message. I would suggest to you, if you have dysfunction in your life, it's because Christ isn't the center of it. In that area. In your finances, in relationships. You find that you have this dysfunction, that it's hard for you to get through these certain things. Maybe because Christ is not Christ alone, you've looked towards other things. Or maybe just during this time of reflection, it's a time of praise and thanksgiving, because you have found all of your blessings, and you are confident in Him, in Christ alone. Worship team, please lead us in our final song. I'll be ending with the benediction. And this is the amazing thing. We do not come to this world with human wisdom. We do not tell people, here's a great, here's a great few steps to follow and you'll feel better. We say, come to Christ, die, and you will find life.
in him.
returns or calls me home, here in the power of Christ I stand. So moved by that song. Because I do not trust in governments. I do not trust in people. I do not trust in my own abilities. In Christ alone, my hope is found. In Christ alone, do I stand. In the power of Christ, in the power of your cross, which for me is the power of God for salvation, though once it was foolishness. I know, Lord, that whatever issues this congregation is facing, individually or corporately, it is in the power of Christ do we overcome. For in the love of Christ we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For what should separate us from the love of God that is found in Christ? Shall life or death, heaven or hell, angels or demons, the present or the past? No. We are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Nothing shall separate us from His love. It is in that, Lord, we pray. Would you raise your hands and receive the blessing of the Lord today? Today's blessing comes from Colossians chapter 3, 16 and 17. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Lord God, I pray this blessing over this congregation that whatever we do, thought, word, and deed, we do it for the only one who is our Savior, our Mediator, our Ambassador, our Intercessor, our strength and our healer to Jesus Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. Will congregation be blessed today? The worship team's going to continue singing. We have refreshments in the fireside room. But feel free to stick around as long as you are wanting. God bless you.